GameZillaMedia.com. It's time for the last action podcast. Pop quiz, hot shot. Hey, motherfucker. I feel the need. The need for speed. Kill it. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Come with me if you want to live. Welcome, everybody, to this week's episode of the Last Action Podcast. As you can tell from the opening little theme there, we are right back at it with Bond Films, and we have with us a very special guest, the one, the only, our Bond expert, Craig WK. Uh, Great to be back on the show, LPJ. Uh, It's it's a Great pleasure of mine being able to talk James Bond with you guys. Yes, and the reason why I introduced you first is because, you know, you're our Bond guy. So I would say you are the most important person on this week's show. I feel like goes without saying for all the shows I'm on. Fair enough. Uh, And of course, we also have returning guest, Hovercraft Joe. I gotta say, I, first curveball was that you introduced Craig first. Second curveball is that you referred to me as a guest. So great to be here. I love hanging out with the Bond boys. Yes, so. and and we'd like to welcome back our intern Sphinx. <laughs> <laughs> he does all the research for us. He's real great about that. Giving us our yeah. notes, putting stuff. You're together. actually not wrong about a lot of that. Right there. <laughs> I am not wrong about that. No. And I don't get paid. So really, this is pretty close to it. So and none of us get paid. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're back with another Bond film. We hadn't done one in a while. When was the last week? It's been like, what, a year? It's been like a year. It was Casino Royale. Yeah, it's been a while. Feels, well, Which would have been they- January, I think it came out. The way things are going, it feels like it was 20 years ago. It really does. It's been a rough year. <laughs> We were in the studio when we did that episode. Does that I mean, how long ago? I but. mean, fuck, a James Bond has died since then. So, <laughs> unfortunately, at the time of the recording, we found out almost a week ago uh, that Sir Sean Connery passed away. Um, but we had this movie already planned, even though it's not a Connery Bond. In honor of Sean Connery, <laughs> we're covering a better Bond movie. Yeah. yeah. In honor of Sean Connery, we're covering The Living Daylights, uh, the first of, well, the first of two Timothy Dalton Bond movies. So, yeah, which is which is yeah. you know what? That is a tragedy. <laughs> I like it really is. Man, I love like even. Okay, so arguably this is the better of the two movies. Yes. It's arguable. Hovercraft Joe in the top five loves License to Kill Right, we did but, that last. But regardless, but that's the thing. Regardless of the movie, Timothy Dalton is excellent in both. No, I agree with that, yeah. <coughs> Where, you know, you get hit or miss stuff like 
like uh, Brosnan, you're kind of hit or miss in some of his. Connery's kind of hit or miss. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. We can all agree that Brosnan was like one big hit and then a lot of misses. Well, the movies, yes, but I would say him in the movies. Okay. All right. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. When I was a kid and I was just getting into Bond movies, I saw Timothy Dalton as Bond and I was like, the guy from Beautician and the Beast? I was like, <laughs> what is Fran Drescher going to be the Bond girl? I was like, get out of here. Wow. Beautician You're the right. Beast? When, when I first saw Timothy Dalton as well, I was like, I don't like this. Like, I wasn't into it. Um, as I've gotten older, I've grown to appreciate and love Timothy Dalton. And in all honesty, I think the Daniel Craig movies kind of set up Timothy Dalton's now looked back on, you know, that, that he was a really good Bond because Craig acts very similar to Dalton and that it's a lot, it's a lot more action focused, a lot more raw. It doesn't have the Roger Moore and Piers Brosnan humor and silliness. Well, and that's what I wanted to bring up with you because recently you've read the books and <clears throat> what I was, believe it or not, I did do some research uh, in my research <laughs> of this. Timothy Dalton said he really went back to the books to get kind of the heart of what Bond was mm-hmm. um, and sort of bring that out. And, and I know Daniel Craig had a similar kind of method to doing it as well. Do you find that Craig and Dalton are more similar to the books? I do, for sure. Uh, I've now read six, six of the books now uh, while we've been in quarantine, and I've really enjoyed them all. I mean – you know, there's parts to them that have aged quite poorly, but but overall, they've been enjoyable to read. Um, but I would say, yeah, Craig in Casino Royale and then Dalton really in both of these movies, I think they definitely portray the James Bond that you see in the books being uh, a little bit harder, a little bit edgier, um, not really having that comedy part of it. Um, no, very authentic is the way I would kind of treat that. Yeah. And I think that's what I connected to what I connect to more with Dalton and uh, Daniel Craig is, is I like that kind of realism that they have. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, don't get me wrong. I, I love me a good Roger Moore movie, but yeah. at the same time, sometimes. Uh, Wait, hold on. Could you clarify what a good Roger Moore movie is? Oh, well, they, hold on. They all are. <laughs> good, good as in bad. Um, <laughs> You know, sometimes I want to sit down and watch like Moonraker because I need a good laugh. Uh, but <laughs> oh, God. I know it's a, it's a rough laugh. It's more of a cry laugh. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, but, you know, I, I like the realism of the other two uh, quite a bit more. Yeah, yeah I, I, I always enjoy Dalton's Bond. And I think as far as like both his movies, I think they're a little, I mean, maybe not so much now, but for a long time, I feel like they were a little underappreciated for Bond movies. Uh, and cause, because his tenure is so short, people would just assume that it was like, oh, he's just not a good Bond. But I, I think he's good, and I think both the movies that he did are enjoyable Bond films compared to a lot of the ones in the franchise. So, Yeah. I would also say, since we talked about the books real quick, this was actually the last movie that had a title from a book. So the Living Daylights is a it was a short story actually I believe with Octopussy. Yep. Um, it was the final book that Fleming did as two short stories in the one book. So 
And from what I've read, too, it actually is pretty close to the short story. Um, and as I know Craig WK will bring up as well, there are references to Smirsh, uh, which is brought up in the first book and a lot of the other books as well. So Yeah, I love that. Uh, yep. The Death to Spies, which I don't think ever gets, as that phrase, ever gets brought up in any other Bond movie. Nope. Which is super interesting because, yeah, it was from the very beginning in the Bond novels. Yep. Yeah, it's got, it is kind of odd that that never made it in here. I know I, I know the original intention when they first were writing the script for this was to make this a prequel to Dr. No, um, so that at the end of the film, he would be receiving his next mission, and his next mission was going to be Dr. No, like he'd receive the Dr. No file. Um, but obviously they, they changed it around, you, you know, from what you see on screen. Yeah, which again is interesting to make the the um, – the tie-in to Daniel Craig, because that's exactly what they did with Daniel Craig. They restarted the franchise with Casino Royale, and yeah, they definitely had similar intentions with Timothy Dalton, because I think just like how they needed to get away from Pierce Brosnan and Die Another Day, uh, you know, they needed to get away from A View to a Kill and old Roger Moore uh, to bring in Timothy Dalton. <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah, that's for sure. Oh, man. I can't wait till we do video and kill. That's going to be so much fun. <laughs> Indeed. Um, all right. So let's dive into some of the numbers for uh, Living Daylights. Uh, the release date on this movie is July 31st, 1987. Uh, it had a budget of $40 million, uh, a domestic gross of $51 million, So not great. <laughs> domestic gross. Uh, and then a worldwide of $191 million. So... I think these Bond movies generally do make a lot of money overseas as well. So, I mean, it, you know, um, Rotten Tomatoes on this is 73%, so pretty high. Uh, and audience score is 66%, so a little bit lower, but fairly on par. Um, and then <laughs> top grossing movies in 1987. This one always gets me. The number one is Three Men and a Baby. <laughs> uh, then Fatal Attraction and Beverly Hills Cop 2. Uh, the Living Daylights came in 19th for the year, uh, and movies that we have covered on this podcast from 1987 are number nine, Lethal Weapon, number 12, Predator, and number 16, Sphinx's favorite, RoboCop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm curious about, sorry, to roll it back a bit, that audience mm. score, um, does that audience score reflect like current or just when the movie came out? I honestly, that's a good question. I honestly don't know how Rotten Tomatoes really tabulates that. I would assume it's something to do with like, based on, it can't just be like when the movie came out. Cause I think they have audience scores for all their movies. So like, right. I don't think they have like data from like, you know, when Citizen Kane came out. Well, I'm curious because I, I would think that this movie would age better. You know what I mean? Like I, over time, I, I think, think people, people are don't like Timothy Dalton though. I, I think that's a big part of it. I think like the four of us have already talked about how much we liked Dalton, but I think that non-traditional, like non-hardcore Bond fans didn't really get them. I think that's also why the U.S. domestic was probably pretty low. Yeah. I don't think Timothy Dalton is, he's not a very big name. And I think even today, he's not who you think about with James Bond. Yeah. At all. No, well, I, I I think I agree with you on that on that to to a Devin, to a certain extent for sure. 
Well, that and, you know, I think the James Bond franchise really kind of petered out like at this time frame, you know, despite the fact that he may be the right Bond and they may be good movies. I think the U.S. consumer just wasn't really appreciating Bond. They had, you know, they had Die Hard. They had Rambo. They had all of these other, they had Terminator. They had all of these other big American action films that seemed to kind of push the Bond espionage thrillers down a bit. Well, even the other movies that came out that year, what are we talking about? Lethal Weapon, Predator, Robocop, like all movies that beat it at the domestic box office. So I think you're right. There probably was a certain amount of uh, fatigue fatigue and probably a little weariness after the view to a kill that, you know, audiences probably weren't ready to embrace this movie. I don't know. Does anyone know what was view to a kill? Was it 85? 85. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so this is two years afterwards. So I, I, I think to a certain extent, you're right about that, LBJ. Yep. yep. So what's well, next? Uh, I do have a lightning round. Oh, okay. I don't have the music. We haven't done right. one in a while. Granted, no. I've only I've only been on for what one episode since I've returned. <laughs> so because then I kind of disappeared again. So. <laughs> well, trust me, you are glad that you did not have to watch Half Ass Then. So oh you, my you, God. you dodged, you dodged <laughs> the world there. Wow. What a, I, I feel like that happened too with the Chuck Norris when I was supposed to be on, and I missed that one. So the last oh. couple you guys have done, I've avoided. But honestly, Half Ass Then lowest rated movie we've ever done yeah. by far. Like oh. co- collectively, it is by far the lowest rated. The highest it got was one machine gun. So wow, <laughs> it, was so, it was so bad. It, it not even fun, man. Just bad. <laughs> but anyways, lightning round. I'm excited. Yes. So um, that might not be as fast as I thought it was going to be. Let's see. Uh, number one, what was the last Bond movie before this one in which Bond is driving an Aston Martin? Thunderball. Nope. <laughs> I don't know. Diamonds are forever. A lot closer. Uh, how about uh, The Spy Who Loved Me? Nope. On Service? Her Majesty's I'll... Secret Service. <laughs> Dang it. it. I was just like, oh, I bet you it was that one. Dang it. Yep. Number two, where is the band AHA from? New Zealand? No, they're... Um... I don't know. Why, why did I say that? I was so confident. <laughs> no, they're Scandinavian, but I'm trying to think which country. Is it... Sweden. they're... I think they're I think they're Swedish, yeah. They are Norwegian. Norwegian. Oh. <laughs> Guys, we're doing a great job on this uh, <laughs> lightning run. Number three, what famous couple visited the set of the movie? Oh, Prince Prince Charles and Princess Diana. Yeah, there you go. Oh, good one. Yeah, he, they said that uh, Prince Charles was the one who activated the like special effect for the ghetto blaster. Like, yeah, he was off. He was <laughs> off stage and he hit the button when it, to, to make it go. So. I did see that, too. It's very exciting. Uh, Joe Don Baker plays what other character in the James Bond franchise? Oh, oh uh, uh, Jack Wade. Yep. He is Jack Wade from the Brosnan movies. Uh, can you name the seven military leaders that Whitaker has in his little fortress in Tangier? <laughs> uh, <there's- laughs> oh. So let's see. We have Adolf Hitler. Yeah. Yep. Napoleon Bonaparte. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's see. There was, was it like Attila the Hun? Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, let's see. <laughs> Who else was there? Joe Joe Stalin? Nope. 
Not Stalin. Do you want me to throw it in, or are you still going? Yeah, yeah, keep going. Uh, Genghis Khan. Genghis Khan. He was Uh, in there. You got three left. uh, Benedict Arnold. Nope. Uh, Think ancient history. Oh, Julius Caesar. Yep. Caesar, yeah. Uh, Alexander the Great. Yes. And there's one left, and he's the one that I didn't know. I had to check it out. I know there is one more. I looked at it. I can't remember who it is. Yeah, he mentioned it actually in the movie. It's the Duke of Wellington. Oh. oh, I was about to guess that, and I was like, oh, they brought him up at the end. I don't think he was in the line at the beginning. <laughs> and then final question. Uh, this is actually, this movie is an anniversary for the Bond films. Do you know what anniversary it is? 25th. It was the 25th anniversary of James Bond movies. Oh. So there you go. There's lightning round. Can I can I say this? I don't know when else to bring this up because like we don't really have a, a part to fit in. But I don't know if you guys like. I really like the poster for this movie. Yeah, like, it's a cool poster. It is sweet. Like I'm like if I were ever to get like a James Bond movie to have like hang up in my apartment, like this would probably be one of my top choices because it's it's kind of like it's not like over the top, but I don't know. It's something about it that's really cool. Like the, the yeah. way it is. It's got I, the I guess, really big gun barrel, like right in the middle of it. Yeah, and then yeah, you got the, like, the white dress and yeah, like cool silhouette. Yeah, I like it yeah, a lot. It's yeah. a that one's good. Well, did you so, see the other one? There's two. Oh, I guess I didn't see the other one. Yeah, there's is the, the main... other one just his face, like with the Walter PPK up. To no, it? if you look on Wikipedia, it's the picture they have there. <laughs> but that one is more in line with. I think it's the same artist who did the Moonraker one. Oh, okay. I guess he yeah, has got Dalton right in the middle there. Right, yeah, that one's pretty cool too. Yeah, I do like that one. Mm-hmm. Nice. Oh, okay, yeah. See, we're talking. Ooh, that is cool. Isn't I do neat? like that. Yeah. It's really yeah. cool. They're yeah. both like, the, uh, you know, everything, the production design, everything in this movie was pretty solid as far as like the Bond films go. Everything around it was good. Yeah. Uh, All right, should we. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, should we talk about the cast? Yep, that's exactly what I was going to say. Okay, so we mentioned Timothy Dalton taking over the role of James Bond. Uh, we have... Uh, well, let's, Apollo- look, I got a couple more things about Dalton before we oh, go on, if that's okay. Please go, please go ahead. Yeah, just that um, I didn't realize, but Dalton was going to be Bond after you only live twice. Uh, it goes yeah, back I, f- farther than that. I saw well, this like the 60s. Wild. Yeah. He, it was it, wild. I didn't realize that at all. They, really? they had been considering him. They had offered him the part four different times, and he turned it down each time because he thought he was too young. So they offered yeah, it to him in like 60... It was 68. 68. That was after Connery was done. And then 72-ish? Yeah. After Connery left again. Yeah. Then 83... <laughs> Yeah, because Moore thought he was too old, right? which he was. Which he was. And then again, he finally <laughs> said yes, but it, he didn't say yes until after they had already picked Pierce Brosnan. And then Brosnan fell through, and then Timothy Dalton said, okay, yeah, fine, I'll do it. <laughs> yeah, but Timothy Dalton also had to kind of say no because he, he was filming some other movie, and then things just kind of worked in the right amount of time that his movie finished while at the same time Brosnan got stuck finishing Remington Steel. Yeah, so. he got stuck with Remington Steel, which they were going to cancel, but they kept it going because they thought, oh, he's going to be a James Bond. This is going to save the show. <laughs> and then they didn't cast him because he was Remington Steel and the show bombed. Yeah, from what I heard, he only yeah. did like six more episodes and then they just canceled it anyway. Yep. So that's crazy. 
Well, it's, it's interesting, especially now as, you know, as there are more and more, but it's got to be, I mean, uh, an intimidating role to take on, you know, even when Dalton took it on, but like even more so now, but back then even, it's just kind of like, like, cause you know, pretty soon, I mean, if, if that latest Bond mill film ever comes out, yeah. then they're going to have to cast a new James Bond. So it's even more of an intimidating process at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other cool thing with Dalton is he wanted to do all of his own stunts, yep. which is also something that Daniel Craig is famous for, but none of the other Bond actors are. Like, Roger Moore never did stunts. Well, they were like, you're going to break a hip if you try to, like, move too fast, Roger Moore. Well, apparently, Dalton wanted to do so much, they had to tell him to stop, literally <laughs> several times. They were like... No, you're not going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, "All right, fine." Because but he's apparently a, he's the like, whole cold, the whole cold, cold open in Gibraltar. Mm-hmm. It's Dalton on top of that jeep yeah. fighting. Yeah, and, and he's awesome. he's like he's an old school, you know, English English theater film, you know, actor. So uh, he's had like fencing lessons. He's had horseback riding lessons. He's done all that stuff. So like in Rocketeer, he's uh, he's doing a lot of uh, fencing. That's all him doing all of his own fencing. Really? He would be a cool guy to have a beer with. Would he not? yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. He'd be like, to me, he'd be like, Mr. Shad, stop asking me questions about the Rocketeer. Yeah. Like Pierce Pierce Brosnan and Daniel Craig, I don't know how fun it'd be drinking with them, but I would have a beer with Timothy Dalton. Plus, he's Welsh, (laughs) and all the Welsh people I've ever met in my life are the nicest damn people in the world. So, anyway. Uh, so I would do want to roll it back one more time. I was going to do a, I know I'm the one who's always wrapping it, saying, wrap it up, but I got to roll it back. Yeah, We need to move faster, dude. Like, hold on, let's go back to the start. But I don't have, I don't have a formal role reversal um, because I just couldn't find enough on it. Uh, but I do have <clears throat> the initial person they were going to cast in this after Pierce Brosnan was going to be um, Sam Neill. Mm-hmm. And the only reason why it wasn't him is because Albert Broccoli didn't want it. But everybody else, like Michael G. Wilson, Barbara Broccoli, John Glenn, you know, Maybaum, they all wanted Sam Neill. And that was it. He just, so Albert Broccoli the, had to put the final word in. Yeah, in the documentary I watched, uh, they had the they had the test screening with Sam Neill. He, I was surprised. He did really well. I think like, he great. really. Yeah, he could have been a really good Bond. Yeah. But that didn't happen. You're right. It was, yeah, Cubby Broccoli was like, absolutely not. So, okay. I um, promise. I'm done for a moment. Okay. Okay. Let's, <laughs> let's buzz through the rest of the cast here. Uh, and I'm probably going to butcher this uh, LBJ. So help me out. Miriam yeah. Diabo. Yeah, Miriam Diabo. Uh, Darbo. Playing, yeah. playing uh, Kara Mil, 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 Blonde girl. Let me, say, let me just say this right off the bat, guys. And, and however my feelings about this movie is, she's definitely one of my least favorite Bond girls. Yep. I actually of think she's the, the worst. Rampant. She, she, I, I might agree with you because my thing is like, there's Bond girls who are bad, but she is like actively working against Bond in a lot of scenes. <laughs> and one of my favorite parts of this movie is there are many times when you could just see Bond's Visible annoyance with her. (laughs) He can't even hide how mad he is. Like, I'm thinking specifically, we'd have to go back and get her cello, and he's just so (laughs) mad about it. And it cracks me up, but she's the worst. Why couldn't you want him to buy a lady? 
<laughs> I also love it when he's in the plane and he sees her in the Jeep. He's like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> yeah. like, uh, it, it cracks me up, but it's like, she drives me crazy in this movie. Yeah. So. It, is, it is definitely the, I think, uh, I'm trying to think of all the Bond movies. He's never been so annoyed as he is with this Bond movie. Oh, yeah, 100%. Well, I wouldn't like, even say no, down. he's like angry annoyed because, you know, yeah. Roger Moore gets annoyed with uh, what's her name in uh, A View to a Kill because she's kind of yeah because she's kind of yeah. ditzy and annoying, but but not like this. Like he's no pissed. <laughs> yeah, Roger Moore still needed Tanya Roberts for some crazy reason about the fault information. Sure. There's literally not a single reason why Dalton Bond needed her besides to just use her to find out information about. Uh, Costco. Yeah, like really that is it. it. Yeah. Like he, she has no other purpose in this film. Nope. She, well, she, she's the. Well, I mean, to Bond, she has one other purpose. Well, fair enough. <laughs> she's the worst, and I, I, I literally think I wrote in my notes like three or four times, just like, ugh, Kara's the worst. Yeah. yeah. Um. Okay. So, uh, Joe Don Baker is Brad Whitaker. Love me some Joe Don Baker. Uh, LBJ's boy, John Rays Davies. Yes. Yeah. General Pushkin. Um, and how, how do you say this name, uh, LBJ? Jerome Crab? Yeah, I think it's Cr- I, yeah, I think it's Jerome Crab or Crabbe. Okay. I think it's Crab because he's French, but uh, Okay. And he's playing General uh Georgie Koskov? Koskov. Yeah, Yorgi Koskov. Yorgi, thank you. Jeez. Yorgi. When did I become the one who can't pronounce any names? I don't know, but I'm really enjoying it. <laughs> Gosh, I'm so bad at this. Um any anyone else specifically? I mean, you got all your a lot of your Bond. You got Desmond Llewellyn as sure. Q. I, I was so confused by the lady that played uh, Money Penny. Money Penny. I was like, it was very. I was like, wait. I was like, that's Money Penny. Like it was like yeah. it threw me for a loop. She only does the Dalton ones, just the two. Yep. And she's not particularly good no. as Money Penny. Uh, and let's not forget uh, Andres uh, Wisen- uh What is it? Wisni- uh, Wisniewski. Yep. Who plays Necros? Because I have to talk about the goon. Is that not the best name for a goon ever? It Necros. is. It is pretty good. It is. Uh, he's also. He's also. Go ahead. What? Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say he's also a henchman in Die Hard, yep. Mission Impossible, and he uh, reprised the same goon from Mission Impossible and uh, uh, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. Yep. Oh. And, and I would also say, I think Necros might be the most underrated henchman in the series. Yeah. He's great. Right. Yeah. I love him, but he's, he's one that is not talked about. No, as far as henchmen go, he's pretty capable. Yeah. He, uh, he fits the Red Grant mold, the yes. blonde, attractive oh, yeah. dude. Uh, but I like that uh, every time he's around, it's playing the Pretenders. Uh, <laughs> uh, like Every time he's on screen. And when it's not that song from the pretenders it's using that as a light motif in the theme that john barry did for him yes yeah great uh and then uh a quick side um, note i uh, will say that the john but oh, oh. What, what were you gonna say i'm sorry you broke up <laughs> sorry about that so uh art malik plays uh the shop yep mm-hmm. when i was watching that uh uh, more recently, because a uh, buddy of mine told me to, you know, rewatch Living Daylights because it was way better than we remembered it being. Uh, 
I was sitting there watching it. I was like, who the hell is Shaw? Like, I know he's from something. I've seen him in something. And I looked it up after I watched the movie. Uh, there's a mystery series that I really love from the BBC called Inspector Lewis. He plays a character in one of the episodes, which I thought was kind of fun. That's a deep cut. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's an LPJ cut right that there. That is. I know what that show is, too. The other, the other, the other thing I wanted to mention is that, and I, maybe I'm wrong on this, but the, the guy that played Felix Leiter in this, John Terry, I did not like oh, this Felix Leiter. I'm worst. just going to be honest. He, he was, like, not one of them. There's so many different Felix Leiters, and I did not like this guy. I, I, just like this may be the worst uh, Bond girl, this is the worst Felix Leiter, I think. He's not he's a like, great Felix. And no. he doesn't show up until an hour into the movie, and he's also, like... He's his role in the movie is to sit in a chair and drink a cup of coffee. <laughs> Literally, that's not, what he does. <laughs> it was like it was like they were like, well, we I guess we got to have Felix Leiter in this because he's in all of them. But he like he serves no purpose really, none. Um, all right, let's. Uh, does anyone have any cast members that we didn't call out that you want to mention before we move forward? Nope. Uh, we we're gonna play the Aha song. Well, no. Let's uh, real quick. I have a couple net worths. Just oh, a yes. couple I want to buzz. Okay. So let's start with uh, Miriam Dabo. What do you guys yeah. think for her? Uh, Sphinx, what do you think? So in the documentary, it may sound like she's actually done quite a bit of other stuff. So I'm going to say like $8 million. Okay. Five. Uh, yeah, I'm going to cut that down to like $3 million. Uh, Actually, Sphinx, you're the closest. $10 million for her. So Yeah, good for uh, her. What do you guys think? What do you guys think for Joe Don Baker, who is still alive? I thought maybe he was dead, but he's alive. What do you think for Joe Don Baker, LBJ? Seven. Okay. I don't know of him in any roles that are major, so I'm thinking it's only like three million. Okay. Okay. He's in uh, uh, two Bond movies. <laughs> uh, three. Three. He's in GoldenEye and uh, oh. Tomorrow Never Dies. You're right. You're right. He uh, uh, He's Jack Wade twice. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I guess I'll go six million. Three million. Sphinx on point. Oh, man. Uh, and then finally, uh, Timothy Dalton, or T. Dalton, as I like to call him, Greg. What do you think for Timothy Dalton? Oh, I'm going to go, I don't know, 25 million. He was okay. Bond. That seems reasonable. <laughs> Sphinx? Yeah, that's actually a pretty good guess. I'll I'll say slightly lower. I'll say like twenty two million. Okay, LBJ. I'm gonna say thirty five. You guys all overshot it. He's only worth ten million dollars. Oh. <laughs> he's oh, he's, he's worth the same as Marianne Darbo. Poor Timothy Dalton. Well, what is? I mean, Timothy Dalton. Like, I guess, like, I feel like he hasn't. I, I feel like he's not someone that like consistently work. Like, what's the last thing you remember yeah. Timothy Dalton he's being in, in? He's in Doom Patrol. Beautician and the Beast? Yeah. <laughs> he is in Doom Patrol, dang it. Okay, all right. So that's and, all then, and, then, because... and then before that, he did the Penny Dreadful show, and then before that, he did... He's been in a series, uh, I don't know, some well, kind of series for the last 10 work. or 15 years. Well, he must work for scale. That's why he only has $10 million. So anyways, that's, that is all I had for net worth. I do have taglines if you want to do those two real quick before the theme song. Sure. They're not great, um, and there's a, there's a lot, but here we go. Um, actually, some maybe some of these I just skip. I don't know. <laughs> this bond is dangerous. What? Yeah. One is literally Timothy Dalton's the new James Bond. Okay. 
That's all right. Yeah. Yeah. This one is enigmatic, dangerous, always living on the edge. License worst. (laughs) License to thrill. Apparently, they're going with Dalton is dangerous. (laughs) So terrible. They're really bad. Bond yeah. like never before. Well, obviously, because he's a different dude. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, the last one that I'm going to share, because sh- I'm skipping the rest of these, is the one I think is okay and actually kind of ties into the theme song. It's Living on the Edge. It's the only way he lives. Which, which Sphinx, that is the one that's on the poster that I like. <laughs> well, I would say that's the best one of all the ones I said, so... I wouldn't say it's yeah. great, but it is apparently, the best one. Yeah, apparently marketing also realized these other ones really suck ass. <laughs> but they made up um, for it with the theme song. Yeah, so this, it, it's funny because we were we were talking about this before we started recording. We're like, we all love this song. We really do. We were all singing it because it's, I really, this is one of my, easily one of my favorite Bond theme songs. Like, I just love this song. Agreed. Right, straight up, it's a good song. So mm-hmm. it's from, as the previous mentioned, AHA, uh, Norwegian band, you know, Take On Me, that band. Uh, but this is uh, The Living Daylights. It's very 1980s, right? I mean, I <laughs> so it is, so but in the it. best way. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I feel like the James Bond movies are always following trends. Mm-hmm. And Living Daylights is, you know, as a whole, the movie is not necessarily following a, an entertainment trend uh, necessarily, but it is kind of following what was going on in the world, and that was kind of the the apex of the cold war yeah, it's very that topical be, yeah that wouldn't be resolved for another couple of years uh but uh at the very least the music through aha's uh living daylights and even john barry's soundtrack has a lot of 80s flair to it yep but the thing is is you would think that would mess up the soundtrack and make it horrible this might be my favorite james bond soundtrack it's really of good the entire series it's really good and it's impressive, you know, John Barry, he created 
you know, he's the originator of, you know, the James Bond theme and, and did the original movies um, with the soundtracks. And so the fact that they brought him back in so much later, and, and like you said, Craig, the fact that he's able to bring in that 1980s feel uh, is impressive. And this is the last one he did. Yeah, I believe he died soon after, Shortly maybe after like early nineties. Yeah. Which also, did you guys read that uh Aha did not play very friendly with John Barry? Really? So they worked on the song together, the Living Daylight song. Yep. And Aha had their own idea of it, and John Barry had his own idea of it. And I'm pretty sure they both were like well, I'm John Barry. This is how it's going to go. And Aha is like, we're, we're huge. We just did take on me. Don't tell us what to do. <laughs> and so they apparently it was a huge pain in the ass. So much so that Aha released their own version of it separate from the movie soundtrack. <laughs> Man. And I haven't listened to it. I don't, I've never listened to the Aha version of The Living Daylights, but I'm going to have to look it up now after we're done recording. Did you see? Did you see that they originally approached the Pet Shop Boys to do the? <laughs> but the Pet Shop Boys turned it down because they were like, "Well, wait, we're just doing the opening song. We don't get to do the whole soundtrack, so they wouldn't do it." So, this <laughs> doesn't make any sense because that's never been a precedent in any other Bond movie. But uh, it's, I don't, yeah, I don't it's know. Pet Shop Boys. I, okay. uh, yeah. <laughs> let's buzz. Oh, go ahead. I yeah, was no, say, I just said, let's buzz through this. Uh, plot as best well, we we've can. Already co- we've already covered some of the stuff. We haven't specifically said it, so let's just say it before we get into it. Director John Glenn yep. directed a lot of Bond movies for your eyes only. Octopussy, V to a Kill, License to Kill. Uh, composer John Barry, we just mentioned that. And then these writers, are they writing a lot of Bond movies? I didn't yeah. Oh yeah. yeah they're doing like almost Wilson. all of them. Yep. Yeah, and Wilson is now a producer. Yep. Okay. So just wanted to get that out of the way before we kind of roll through this so <laughs> how do you guys want to tackle this we're notoriously bad at going through the plots i i i feel like we can just kind of drop a quick synopsis and kind of touch base on yeah. what we liked about it That's but fine. yeah basically it's like a almost starts as a james bond mystery it's like you know this uh uh russian general is defecting and, you know, there's a lot of weird stuff involving his uh, escape. The fact that, you know, an untrained assassin was going to kill him. Bond, of course, does not let the beautiful woman assassin, who's also a cellist, uh, die. And then he starts getting wrapped up in this weird, crazy plot that Yorgi uh, Koskov has, you know, sort of set up involving this arms dealer. Yeah, that's that's a pretty good synopsis of it i mean it really is a mystery like the entire movie literally until the last 30 minutes we don't really know what exactly the grand scheme is and even at that point it's not that grand of a scheme well i was gonna say in in sphinx maybe you could (laughs) because maybe i like i said i tried to explain it to someone the other day can you tell me what costco's plan was like succinctly can you explain it to me I mean, my interpretation of it was that he is trying to sell arms illegally. But the thing is, is that he wants to sell them to Russia. <laughs> already, no, already no, no, no. Let me finish. Then if, uh, <laughs> if my version's wrong, then we'll hear LPJs. 
So okay. he's trying. To, so they're trying to sell weapons to the Russians. Okay, but Pushkin finds out that there's something going on with the money because John D. Baker, who's the arms dealer that Koskov is working for, he ends up taking the money and wants to redirect it into <laughs> diamond production. Oh, no, you're totally because then because then he wants to exchange the diamonds with the Mujahideen in Afghanistan for opium because opium is going to make a shit ton more money. No. So the way I interpreted it no. was that they got the money from the Russians no. and they used it to buy these diamonds that the Mujahideen wanted. The diamonds <laughs> were then given to them. They got the opium that they're going to sell for much higher profit than what they did before. No, you're making it way more complicated than it is. Essentially, here's what it is. So. Yorgi wants to get rich. The the Russian government wants to work with Jodan Baker's character to buy illegal arms, like top of the line stuff that the U.S. has that they don't have. They give push. They give um, uh, Koskov the money to go buy the arms. Instead yeah. of him just going and buying the arms, he says he's going to place this order with Jodan Baker. Jodan Baker gives him diamonds so that he can go buy opium. They're going to sell the opium, make a profit, keep it, and then give the arms back to the Russians without them knowing that he actually embezzled money from them. So the two of them were going to take the money for the arms and embezzle extra money by using that money first to buy opium to sell on the open market so that they could get rich. And at the same time, they were going to kill Pushkin because Pushkin was the one uh, that was investigating him and, and is Koskov's rival. Which is pretty much what I said, except I didn't mention the, the last part that they were going to sell them back to the Russians. Because that part, I never I never got that part. Yep. I didn't think that they were going to actually keep the, let the Russians keep the weapons. Well, and it, well, that's why they sent Koskov there first. First, you know the, the meeting in the beginning where Koskov goes to meet with Jodan Baker and says we're not doing the deal? Yeah, that was that was initially that that was the illegal deal that they initially had going on, and that's when that's go ahead. That's Pushkin who meets it. That's Pushkin. Pushkin, yeah. Pushkin meets with John Ray's Davies. Pushkin meets with them. Pushkin says no, deals off. But because he's like, we want our money back, right? Because the money's just sitting in an account, right? But the plan was, um, Koskov was going to embezzle that money. So he had to get the deal to still go through. So he's going to kill Pushkin in order to get the deal to go through so he could proceed with embezzling the money. Because if you look, he buys her that cello, that, you know, $100,000 cello, because he's got all this extra money from embezzling. He's been embezzling from his own government. If I, 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 I would say connected while we're talking about the plot. Something I think, and maybe you guys can explain it so it's not, I feel like a misstep this movie makes is that it tries to tie this main plot into, like, the cold open, like, the opening scene. Because, like, the thing is, like, they try and be like, well, Pushkin's got a list of all the agents, and he's, like, going to bump them off. So that's why they convince Bond to kill him. But, like, don't they try and tie that into the beginning with the training exercise when the guy kills the other double O's? Yep. Yeah, like, that's the... um. That saying that they have on there, yeah, Smiat Spinonim. Right, it's 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 the Russian like um, death to spies. Death to yeah, it means death to spies, but it's like their like their secret code word. Like like that that's the operation. The operation is like death to spies. And explain this to me at the beginning. 
I feel like I'm so dumb right now, but like, is the guy that starts killing him? He's one of the double O's that jumps out of the plane. No, I know no. he's working for Costco. He's working for Costco. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. my assumption. Okay. Yeah. I guess I'm confused. Okay. I got confused then because I'm like, I thought there were three double O's and I only remember one of them getting killed. <clears throat> yeah. So. Cause if you remember too, when, uh, Jordan Baker is pissed that Pushkin is still alive. They were going to send Necros to kill Pushkin. Right. And right. They he's were even, ta- th- he's yeah. even and, there at that press. And he's even there at that scene. But they were talking about, uh, Yorgi was saying, well, maybe we should use another agent to try and convince Bond to do the kill. So that kind of confirmed as well that the guy in the beginning was working for Koskoff and Jordan okay. Baker. Okay, okay, okay. I think I just got confused because I remember that there were three double O's that jumped out of the plane, and then I only remember the one getting killed by him when he cut the rope or whatever. Which is like, what happened to the third one? Yeah, which an interesting thing I want to bring up about that. Something I've noticed while reading the books is it's the books have mentioned several times that the double O's, there's only three of them at a time. I didn't know that. And in the movies, they don't really ever play it that way. But then when I noticed in the opening scene here that there were three, like they might only be, they might be the only double O's. Like I thought there'd be double O one through double O nine, but it doesn't sound like that's true, at least from how the books have been writing them. Isn't that untrue though? Because wasn't it when we watched Thunderball, aren't there a table with like nine of them all sitting around in that, remember that? Right. Yeah, yeah, they're sitting around in that secret like, room that has the open the window that was wide open to like downtown London. But like, I, well, again, I'm sure I'm sure the movies I, took. Yeah, I think the movies took their own direction on it. But I'm just saying from the books, he made it sound like. Right, right. You right. know, there's only three of them that that exist at a time. Now, pop right. quiz. Other than 007, who were the other two 00s? Uh, 002 and 004. Yep. Nice. Well, All right, right, I'm out, guys. I'm going to leave you behind. <laughs> <laughs> you see, I liked the cold open, though, and I liked how it's right. not even it's not really a cold open. It's one of the few times that the beginning of the movie actually relates to the rest of the plot. Yeah. No, yeah, and, and, I, and don't, don't get me wrong. I think it's a great action sequence, and I think it's a great way to kind of introduce the new Bond by kind of getting you confused because there's three double O's, and you're like, well, who is Bond? You know, yeah. like, I really like it. I just think it's weird that, like, they don't do that a lot of Bond movies, and it's kind of weird that retroactively they're like, oh, this is part of it, you know? Like, I don't know. It, it's, it's, it's a great sequence, though. Yeah, and, and I would say, too, honestly, I think this movie starts off fantastic. Like, I really do love that opening, and then I really enjoy the scene after the, the Living Daylight's credits because we also get to see Bond a little bit differently than how we ever saw him in the Roger Moore movies is that he's more of a assassin when he is being hired and he's kind of the sniper license to kill. Mm-hmm. Like I really liked that side of bonds that we don't really see in any of the previous movies up to that. So, cause there's a, a cold bloodedness to it until the point where he's got to pull the trigger. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I appreciate the fact that uh, uh, he gets the one-up Saunders, the uh, the yeah. guy who's like, oh, it's a no basis, blah, blah, blah. Sorry, chap. He and turns Constance that guy like, like an asshole. Yeah, oh, does. yeah. Uh, I I appreciate the fact that he Saunders is like this kind of like stuck-up jerk. And then right when you start to like think, oh, wow, Saunders isn't that bad, he gets killed by uh, Necros, <laughs> and you're like, ah. Yeah. Uh, 
Sphinx, do you like when uh, T. Dalt invokes the title of the movie <laughs> in that opening scene? When whoever like, she was must have gotten the living daylight scared yeah. out of her. Or whoever she was, it must have scared the living daylights yeah. out of her. There it it's is. like, all right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was a little bit much. Also, I have to say... Hey, it's better not- than A View to a Kill, where you got Mayday and Zorin up on top of the, the fucking balloon. He's like, what a view to a kill. I can't. Yeah, I cannot fair. wait to do that movie. <laughs> oh... <laughs> Um, can I say though, like I, I, I the, the ghetto blaster when they're doing them, oh. that was a little that, that from was our friends in Detroit. Yeah, and it's like it's just it's literally like a boombox that shoots a missile out of it. And he's like, "Oh, we're making this for our American friends," and I'm like, "Oh, come on!" Wait, I feel the- like I feel like they needed Q in the beginning of this movie to try and help the tone a little bit because it the rest of the movie is pretty dark. Yeah. So I feel like Q was kind of thrown in there to be like, "You see, we're still being kind of campy with Bond." So I feel like it was kind of forced. I feel like uh, it wouldn't be a Bond movie if they don't find a way to insult the American audience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true, too. Also, I, and, I, and I know they said that this is a tradition and the last time they did it, but how dumb is it that uh, M has his entire office set up in the back of that plane before the double O's jump out at the beginning? <laughs> so dumb. I mean, I get it. Like, it's the thing, like, in Moonraker, he had it set up in that, like, pyramid or whatever. You know, it's like, it's a joke, mm-hmm. but I'm like, Come on, who's taking the time to like wheel the desk and like hang the <laughs> stuff on the walls? And it's like, oh my gosh. Um, so and so like when they go like the the big scene when when Necros uh, goes to get Costco from like the safe house mm-hmm. and like I, I just like I like it. I think it's a great sequence, but I'm also like. I feel like this entire safe house surrounded by secret agents. I feel like they would have been a little better at stopping this from happening. Oh yeah. Also, yeah. And also at the end, they, they fly off in that helicopter and I'm like, why couldn't they track where the helicopter goes? <laughs> like, yeah. like that agent saw them get in there. Why didn't they like follow that helicopter? I wrote down in my notes that MI6 agent that's just being dragged by Necros is the worst fucking MI6 <laughs> agent in James Bond. His ass should have been fired as soon as that helicopter <laughs> took off. Because he just looks like fucking confused and like doesn't want to deal with it. <laughs> What is with the uh, the fact that uh, Necros is uh, one of his big fights in the movie is with the random grunt <laughs> in the kitchen? Yeah, yeah they, they have a pretty intense fight. fight. It's a fun fight, though. I mean, they're throwing shit all around the kitchen, but you're right. It's a nobody that he's beating the shit out of. <laughs> it is an intense fight for like a character that we don't even know his name. And I mean, that must be some, I mean, I don't know what they fed that cow, but that explosive milk was pretty sweet. (laughs) (laughs) I'm pretty sure that uh, was not from a cow. No, I don't know. I'm just saying, you know. (laughs) And also, like, while we're at it, I feel like like that you couldn't strangle someone with a cord from your Walkman, I feel like. You know what? it's 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 a spy, it's a spy cord. So it's different. It's, like okay. a, it's an evil he's henchman. He's like, can, he's like, can I take this pretender tape out of it? And they're like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Part of the spy thing for it. <laughs> can we can we talk about Brad Whitaker for a second here? Because I like the big reveal that he's just like, he's like a Michigan militia guy. That's essentially what he is. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's yeah, just he is. like a Michigan militia guy 
who, uh, you know, really likes guns. He, uh, he had a really, uh, uh, great line. He's such a creep, especially at the start of the movie. Uh, what does he say? Uh, when he's like, uh, uh, I, I think it's, uh, Pushkin is like, you know, uh, butchers. He's like, they're all butchers. And he like gets mad and he gets upset and he's like, I'd call them surgeons. And it's like, oh, oh, he's standing next to a statue of Adolf Hitler, man. No, he, no, that's not, not cool. Yeah, yeah poor taste there. I, I like Jodan Baker in this, but like, and this may be a controversial opinion, but I'm like, does this character need to be in this movie? Like, I get, like, couldn't they have cut his part out of the plot and maybe made it a little more concise? Yeah. And like, he's the one part of this movie to me this is a very grounded kind of, you know, like you said, kind of like the proto uh, Daniel Craig, James Bond. Yeah. But I feel like he doesn't fit to me. Like his whole like, uh, I got costumes and I got all this stuff. It's like, I don't know. Like, I feel like he they could have done a version of this movie without him. And it works as well. And it keeps the tone a little better, in my opinion. At yes, least. I agree with that. Yeah, I his his scenes seem really out of place for how the rest of the movie is is taking off. I I, I agree. I think objectively you're right, uh, but I do think that there's a subjective enjoyment to the fact that he's he's just another supervillain in the Bond universe. He's a you know a crazy gun enthusiast. You know, like LPJ said, he's basically a Michigan militia guy who, you know, got a lot of money and decided to go into the big leagues. But I feel like there's a certain charm to that in the Bond movies. I feel like that's in keeping with Bond. But you're right. Like, objectively, they could have cut his part out or trimmed it down or whatever. And it would have probably made the movie flow a little better. Right. I think it just kind of goes against the tone of the rest of the movie. I, yeah. I like I like his portrayal and I think his mm. character is fun. I just think like it makes more sense if it was a Roger Moore movie. Yeah. And it's like, I, maybe they were kind of afraid to completely lean into the hard edge, which in license to kill, they kind of go for that. Like that's a, oh, yeah. it, there's no comedy. Yet. So maybe they were kind of like going from Roger Moore. They're like, well, we had to like temper this a little bit. So that's why they kind of threw him in. Yep. Yeah. It seems like it's a transitional film. Like even with mentioning a few minutes ago with Q, you know, those Q scenes were, were outrageous, but even license to kill Q is not funny in license to kill. No. Oh yeah. But, no, he's but, way serious. Yeah. But he still has the campiness here in this one. Yep. Um, I love the uh, car chase in this. I love the, uh, the car in this. the car itself is fantastic. Yeah. I love this. Yeah. Martin. I, yeah, I think it's a good. little, I think it's a little convenient that he gets his car and then it happens to be like rigged with that outrigger or whatever. It's like, you didn't know they were going to the snow or the ice, but I, I do like the car. I like that whole chase scene. I don't know why at the one point he drives the car directly into the boathouse, but why not? Just so he can drive it out on the ice. But it makes an awesome explosion when yeah, the Russians blow it up. Yeah. I was um, going to say, I, I had to write down all the gadgets of this car because oh, yeah, they're pretty that. intense. I mean, he's got the laser that he uses to cut off the axles from the, the police car. He's got the, the missiles for the roadblock that he yep. takes out. Uh, he's got the rims that, yeah, that help him in driving in the ice. He's got the rocket motor in the back. Uh-huh. And then he's got a self-destruct button. I mean, yeah. <laughs> holy shit. Oh, and he's yeah. got skis. I don't think I mentioned the yeah. car literally yeah, the has skis. <laughs> <laughs> like lowers down. 
I will say this though, and as cool as it is, there's no way you could like physically ride a cello case down a mountain like that and have it go so smoothly. Like I love the visual and it's cool, but it's like there's no way that would work as well as it does in the movie. I appreciate the fact that Bond being as like sassy and pissy as he is, after all the complaining he did about the cello, he's like, I'm glad I had you bring this along. And it's like <laughs> You dick. Oh, Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, in the documentary, so it's a slud that's underneath the case. The case is real, uh, but they just put a slud underneath it. And apparently Darbo is driving it, so she's steering the case because Dalton can't because he's holding the violin. So she's the one steering it. And I guess, like, whatever mountain they were using to film had a cliff at the end of it. So they had to do a ton of takes because once they reached a certain point down the hill, they had to cut and stop and like stop them and like rescue them. She said she was in that thing for 13 hours. She said it was the worst part of filming the entire movie was being in the violin case. Cello case. It's a cello case and her name is Dabo. Oh, it's Darbo. No, I it's, it's Dabo. There is no R in it. Oh, all right, whatever. <laughs> um, I will say that one of the things that stuck with me from, like, seeing this movie from, like, the earliest times is the part where they're like, we've nothing to declare except the fellow. <laughs> like, that's, like, so, just a line that I always remember from this movie. It is a fun scene. He makes her hold up the passports. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. I love that he tosses the cello above the gate yeah, and catches it on funny. the other side. Like, it's so slick. And I love how, like, why the hell is there a random gate at the bottom of a mountain for crossing into uh, Austria from Czechoslovakia? Like, clearly, that's that's not a real checkpoint. <laughs> Can we, and we've touched on this before, but and I have it in my notes, so I just want to bring it up. Why is it, do you think, that Bond... Secret Agent 007 just always uses his actual, I mean, like, there's, you know, there's a speculation that his name isn't really James Bond or whatever, but, like, everybody knows him as Bond, and he's always like, I'm James Bond. It's like, you're a spy. Shouldn't you use a fake name? Uh, I would, I was going to tell you that you're crazy, but when they went to that hotel in Vienna, uh, he's like, oh, Mr. Bond, do you want your <laughs> usual <laughs> It always seems weird to me that it's like he's a spy, but everyone just knows his name. Like, oh, hey, what's up? I'm James Bond. But couldn't you kind of argue at this point? Like, he's not really, he doesn't need to be stealthy in this movie. Like, Koskoff already thinks that, you know, Bond's going to take care of Pushkin. So I feel like he doesn't need to be... Okay, in this film. In, in this in this film. No, no, your your claim is very relevant in a lot of the other movies. Also, can I, can I say, like, because we're kind of jumping around, but I it was so weird and awkward to me to see James Bond driving around in bumper cars and stuff in this movie. Like when they were at that carnival, like having fun, there was just something about seeing James Bond ride a roller coaster and like bumper cars and stuff that was so weird to me, but I do like the fact that he was so good at the shooting game that the guy's like, no more, please. <laughs> yeah. I love that, and I also love the fact that he pulled a gun on a child. Yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. I also feel like uh, when, uh, what's his name? What's the henchman's name again? Necros. 
Yeah, when when he kills Saunders, like couldn't he? Like it seems like the whole door slamming into him thing was like a way more complicated than he needed to do to kill that guy. Like, oh yeah, it was listen, super more complicated. Listen, Necros is really good at his job, and he needs to add challenge in order to make it interesting. That's fair. He can't yeah. just wrangle everybody with a Walkman. I also like. I also like that Felix knows Bond so well. He's like, I know how we can get him. I'll send two ladies. And he'll just immediately get in the car with them because he's James Bond. He's just like, whatever, I'll get in the car with them. In my work. notes, uh, in my notes, I have written, uh, it's not a party until Felix Leiter is invited. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. So there uh, is in the documentary... Uh, I found this interesting. I never knew it until I watched the documentary. There is a scene cut out that they cut at the very, very end before they did the final edit. Have you guys heard about the magic carpet ride? No. Uh, I don't think so. (laughs) So you're going to have to see if you can find it on YouTube. I'll try to hunt it down and share with you guys later. So after Dalton kills, quote unquote, kills Pushkin in Tangier, when he's escaping on the rooftops. Oh, I heard about this. I'm so glad it got cut. They had a scene where Bond was going to ride on a magic carpet, a rug that was attached to strings that he was then going to ride along the rooftops of Tangier to escape. (laughs) It looks horrible. It looks so bad. And at the end of the scene, there's these three old men smoking hookah. And the one guy's like, this is some pretty strong stuff. (laughs) It is terrible. I'm glad they didn't use that because that sounds like straight up out of a Roger Moore movie. It is straight up out of Roger Moore. And John Glenn said it too. He's like, it really didn't fit this movie. (laughs) It was terrible. Can I say it's weird no. that this movie is it's rated it's weird that this movie is rated PG, which by the way, it's the last Bond movie to be rated PG, but it has boobs in it. Like, yeah. like it does like, have boobs in it. But did you know that you can have boobs in a PG movie? What really? Yeah. Have you ever seen Airplane? Oh. Oh, well yeah, I mean I've well, Airplane, Airplane is PG, but PG-13 didn't exist yet. Right, right. But also, 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 for no reason, it has those guys' butts too when they when they like drive through the, the when they're at the run best, best part of the movie by far. <laughs> the butts, yes. <laughs> Did I stutter? <laughs> so I will. Uh, no, go okay. ahead, Hovercraft Patrol. No, I was just going to say that the, the kind of like where we're getting is this movie the. The final, like yeah. all the final action sequence takes place in Afghanistan, which, you know, has Bond teaming up with the Afghan resistance to fight what? the Soviets. AKA yeah. the Taliban. Yeah. Yeah. One of history's great ironies in real life the <laughs> fact that, you know, the U.S. arms the Mujahideen, who then become the Taliban that use our own weapons against us when we're in Afghanistan in the 2000s. But uh-huh. I digress. I, I did feel like, though, that this is kind of where the movie, to me, really started to drag and slow down. Like, when he was on the plane and they started to head into Afghanistan, it was kind of like, all right, like, we're a minute, and we're, we're an hour and 45 into this movie, and there's still all of this to go. 
like maybe maybe because I've seen it so many times, like I knew like, oh, shit, like there's still a lot to happen here. Like maybe watching it the first time, I wouldn't have felt it drag as much. But I really was like, it became a bit of a sloth to get to the end of this film. No, I 100% agree with you, Sphinx, because I think as I rewatched it this time, that was my big knock against it. I'm like, is this movie four hours long? Because I like I you you know me guys I never sit down and watch a movie in one sitting I think I watched this over like five different viewings because <laughs> I felt like I had been watching it forever and then there was still an hour left and I'm like how is that possible but you're you're spot on with your assessment yeah, of it it is a long space. movie I, I agree oh yeah. can I just say one thing that's kind of fun for us uh, uh, I don't know if you guys know this but like the whole thing where they they have the fake uh, the transplant thing to put the diamonds in with the fake heart did you guys <laughs> notice. That it says uh, handle like eggs on the container, yeah. which is a callback to those nuclear missiles in Thunderball. They mm. say handle like eggs. So I thought that was kind of fun with those uh, covering Thunderball. So, um, but yeah, so that last action sequence is all in Afghanistan. They break out of the base, they meet up with the resistance, they come back. Bond gets in the plane. That horrible part where Kara's supposed to be waiting on the side, and then she like she's driving the jeep like next to the plane, and Bond is like, "What are you doing here?" Oh man! And then she's like, she also doesn't she um she's the one that opens up the back of the plane when him and yeah the, uh, yes like oh my god he tells you literally just hold the steering wheel straight. Don't do anything else until I get back. And for some reason, she's fucking hitting buttons on the plane, and she opens up the back. <laughs> no. and, then when he, and then when he kills the guy, when he when Necros dies, and he looks back. She's fucking crashing into a mountain. Like, <laughs> what are you doing? In her defense, she's a cellist. She's not a pilot. She's not a soldier. Uh, but yeah, she. Uh, uh, unlike a lot of other Bond girls that have combat capabilities. She does not. She is very clearly a civilian. I, I, I really do like the, the hanging off the back of the plane. Yeah, that was cool. Cargo. That, that yeah. is really cool. I do find it hilarious that so many bags of the opium fell out of the back of the plane, but somehow the one with the bomb in it was uh-huh. still in the plane yeah. after all that. Like, that's pretty convenient, but that's a cool sequence when he's fighting... Um, yeah. Also, I, I find it really weird when that plane crashes into Koskov's Jeep and somehow Koskov doesn't die. <laughs> Why, how is he alive at the end of this movie? <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, I guess. Um, it, it's a fun nod, too, with the timer of the plastic explosive, because that's kind of like Goldfinger, too, right? Until the very last minute. He, yeah. You know, they get there just in time to turn it off. So you can see, like, maybe with the 25th anniversary, they're doing some nods to the older movies. I yeah. will say... Um, unless you got something real quick, LPJ. No, I was just going to say they couldn't resist giving uh, they couldn't resist giving Bond one of his cheesy lines because when the uh, when that when the guy falls off, it's because he cuts the strings. He's holding onto his boot and he cuts all the shoelaces so his boot falls off. And then he he tells Kara that he got the boot. <laughs> they couldn't resist. <laughs> and then I know a great restaurant in Karachi. We can just make dinner. <laughs> once he once somehow the jeep parachutes itself out of the plane and Man, then just lands crazy. perfectly without it, it is cool it was real cool it's really outrageous but it's real cool so the the plane fight you were talking about when they're hanging on to the ropes i was thinking to myself and i was watching it, i'm like there's no way like this is real in the documentary 
it was real. Yeah. You can, well, you they, can see they're wearing the stuntmen are wearing parachutes under their clothes. No, they weren't. So what I saw in the documentary in the documentary, what it said was the two guys, they were in the Mojave desert. This is where they were filming it and they were fighting. And when someone accidentally fell off, they had five parachuters on standby in the plane that as soon as someone fell, they would immediately go down and get them. Really? Isn't that fucking terrifying? Like, That's what crazy. if you couldn't get them in time? Or what if you couldn't find them when you when you dropped? Whoa. I mean, maybe they had a backup one on them, but the, it yeah, didn't it, sound like in the documentary that that was the case. Because why it, would you throw another guy? They looked pretty bulky. Like, it, it looked like <laughs> they were wearing parachutes. Or maybe, like, stuntmen just don't know how to, like, maybe these were professional parachutes that were going to grab the stuntmen, maybe. Maybe. But I, yeah, but I was like, holy shit, like, they legit did that. It's actually just really cold up there, and that's why they're looking bulky, is they had to dress warm. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, well, and kind of just to wrap up this plot, again, how this movie drags. It's like, we get the big thing with the plane, but we're not done, because then Bond goes back to Joe Don Baker's place, and we get the showdown with Joe Don Baker. And we get Pushkin taking Koskov. And then it's like, okay, then it's done. It's like, well, no, then we got to go to uh, Kara, who's apparently, there's a poster, she's on a world tour. It's like a jealous world tour. And then the Afghan rebels show up at her concert. I'm like, why? Why? And then, like, Bond's there, and he's got that dumb keychain that he uses throughout the whole movie. And we're finally done. But it's like three endings before we get to the end of this. But I just kind of wanted to wrap up that part of the plot before yeah, no, we. That's fine. And, it, it, and it is weird that then, because this is, it has that, like you said, that pretender song at the end. So it's kind of weird. You're used to getting the kind of the reprise of all the Bond, the theme from the beginning. But this is like a completely different one from the pretenders that they play at the end. So uh, if there was a man by the pretenders, is way more like a regular Bond theme than the <laughs> song. I love the AHA song, but man, that Pretender song is great. Yeah. Yeah. This is the first time they, I believe, from what I can remember, that yes. they had a separate and a different ending song. Because from there on out, they do it. Yes. So this is the first time they do it, and they've done it since. All right. So well, we're we ready to give this guy a rating, or is yeah. there anything else we've missed? Well, is there anything else? Yeah, I mean... Do you have any do you have any role reversals or I, anything like that, LPJ? I don't. Um really the only one was that uh Sam Neil, right? The Sam Neil one, yeah, but so, so no no real Yeah, no, there was really nothing. Cuz they they like they didn't even have anything on there for um like villains. Like it was it, I couldn't find anything. Like there's no there was no information about casting other than all the stuff about Timothy Dalton. Yeah, even the documentary yeah, didn't it, mention other people that they were considering. It seemed like they kind of, from the beginning, had an idea what they were going to do. And I guess that's one another final thing I would add is they said that when they did the screenwrite for Living Daylights, they screenwrote it knowing that Dalton was going to be Bond. So they really tailored it yeah. to him and his style, which then was based off of you know the books themselves. So, all right, well, let's write this thing. All right. All right, so we have rated lots of Bond movies at this point. <laughs> Who wants to go first? Normally I would say Craig, but you pick. Who, uh, who wants to go first? Anybody? I'll go, I'll go first. Okay. I'll go first. So I, as we kind of discussed at the beginning, I really like 
Timothy Dalton as James Bond. I think he does a great job as James Bond. And I like both of his movies that he did as Bond. However, the more I watch this one, and, and you guys know that I like License to Kill, but the more I watch this one, the more I think that License to Kill is the better of the two. And, and I think it stems mainly from what me and we were talking about, is that this movie seems really long. It feels long. And I'm okay with the movie being long, but this one feels long and drags. And I feel like there's too much time in between the action sequences for it. Like, I just feel like they could have made a tighter movie and it would have been, you know, it would have been great. It's still really good and I still really enjoy it as far as Bond movies go. So I think I'm going to give this three and a half. No, three. Three. Three machine guns. Okay. I'll go next. Uh, Yeah, I'm, I'm right with you. I think it is a little long um, and the plot is kind of out there. Uh, and I don't like Miriam Dabo, <laughs> but beyond that, you know, and I definitely don't like Felix Slayer. He's the worst. Uh, but beyond <laughs> that, I really like Timothy Dalton. I kind of like, uh, I like Koskov. I thought he was just kind of the right amount of crazy, uh, mm-hmm. and silly. And, uh, and overall I enjoy the film, uh, but you're right. It's not, you know, it's not like a five-star film. Uh, I would say, <sighs> Yeah, I'm going to go three and a half just because it it caught me off guard by how much more I like this one than I remembered previously. I uh, yeah, I'm I'm the same way where before I I hated on it and, you know, had a lot of disdain for Timothy Dalton as Bond. And then upon watching it after years and years of just shunning it, uh, I loved it. I thought it was great. I really like the, the mystery plot, you know, that's going on. I don't hate Kara. Uh, she, I, she's not my favorite Bond girl by any stretch of the imagination, but I don't hate her. Uh, so that doesn't bother me too much. Uh, I like the fact that the villain, the main villain is kind of goofier and campier. You know, he's a crazy nut job. Uh, I, you know, villains with a lot of charisma always appeal to me. Uh, I think I'm going to go, uh, uh, four machine guns on this one. Man, leave, leaving for me to be last here. <laughs> I gotta say, I am. This might be the the most conflicted I've been on a Bond movie, and and even thinking of the other Bond movies, I think this is still the one I might like. I bounce back and forth on this. Like I did recently watch this. Actually, I mentioned off off um, off of us recording that I actually rewatched all the James Bond movies with my wife while we've been in quarantine. So it's only been a few months since I actually watched this a, a while ago. And with all the things that we mentioned, like there are things that I love in this movie, like Dalton and the action scenes. And there are things I absolutely hate about this movie, like Kara and <laughs> Felix Leiter. And the fact that it's an hour and 50 minutes in and I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm kind of done. Like I need this Bond movie to end. So I'm, I don't, I really want to give it four, but I think I might have to, I think I'm going to go with LPJ on this. I think I'm going to give it three and a half machine guns. You have failed James Bond. (laughs) You always rate these movies the highest out of all of us. I know, but it's honestly, this is one that I don't normally pull out. Like when it's, when it's, when I'm, when I want to watch a Bond movie, the Living Daylights is not usually one that I'm like, I'm going to watch The Living Daylights. 
Like it's it's not one that I actively seek. I think ever to be honest. Yeah, I'm actually I'm kind of with Hovercraft Joe of the two that I would have to actively be like, oh, I want to see this. It would be License to Kill, not not Living Daylights. So yeah, I'm gonna stick with the three and a half. I'm sorry. I'm gonna give Craig WK the highest rating tonight. You disappoint me, Sphinx. <laughs> I'm gonna. I, I, I'm gonna. I, I've been back and forth. I'm gonna go with my original 3.5 because I want. I want to be in line <laughs> with you guys. I think you're right. Because I do really enjoy it. I'm. I'm kind of teetering on it, but I. I want to officially state 3.5 is where I'm at. So uh, right. to rate the average, I'm going to change mine to five. <laughs> wow. <laughs> no. Uh, 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 four. I feel is. Uh, 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 a, a pretty good rating for this, and, and that's me trying to be objective. Because honestly, after rewatching it, uh, this might hit my top five list of favorite Bond movies. Wow, right. I, I really enjoy the Living Daylights. Uh, it, but License to Kill is another one that I kind of hated on for a long time, and when I rewatched, I was like, "Oh, wow, yeah, this was really good." You're like, "Wait a second, Wayne Newton's in this movie?" Yes, <laughs> bless your heart. <laughs> um, well. You know, as much as I would like to say we'll do that next, I feel like we have to do On Her Majesty's Secret Service next because we've done one of every Bond. we got to do George Lazenby and get him out of the way. Uh, you see, I was thinking we got to do Sean Connery since he just passed away uh, on us. We just honored him with this episode. Yeah, yes. <laughs> He's not going to be any more dead later on. We're good. Oh, come Listen, on now. We'll, we'll talk about it off mic, but we're going to do the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Oh, God, no. Nice. <laughs> the movie that made him quit acting. <laughs> yep. That's, yeah. how, that's how we need to honor him. We need to honor yeah, him with the I, film that made him quit acting. I thought that was the Alzheimer's. Oh, no, 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 no. Trust me. There's lots to write about the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. We're doing Finding Forrester in a very special last action podcast. (laughs) You're the man now, dog. (laughs) All right, are we done? Yeah, (laughs) speaking of the man, uh, Craig, what do you want to plug? Uh, Well, let's go ahead and uh, plug a few shows here. Uh, uh, Legend of Retro is a retro gaming podcast. If you like talking uh, or listening, I should say, uh, the history of Movies, you might like the history of video games, where uh, myself and uh, Chops, Xander, and Glitch chat about uh, old retro video games. Uh, But perhaps if you're uh, liking my voice, and you also happen to like LPJ and Sphinx, check out Season 2 of Noobs and Dragons, uh, where they're players in a Dungeons & Dragons game, and I put them through terrible, terrible hell. And, uh, of course... You know, check out any of the seasons, but season two, I think you'll appreciate because of these two guys. Uh, and then otherwise, Noiseland Arcade has been on hiatus because of quarantine and COVID. And uh, yeah, so mostly just those two shows. <laughs> I, I like when Craig's here because he basically takes care of all our plugs because he's yeah, on like, every other show. You know what? We're so not plugging anything else. We're good. <laughs> yeah, no, you guys are fine. You, you guys covered everything important. Yep. Oh, come oh. on now. Games of the podcast. Can't forget those. No, hold on. Sphinx is right. We need to talk about Patreon. Uh, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's true, too. Yeah. You should sign up. <laughs> One dollar or five dollar a month. Wow, that, was, that was convincing. I'm sure you guys uh, are, they're going to be rolling in now. <laughs> let, me, uh, let me help you guys out here. Do you love 
Last Action Podcast. Go to patreon.com slash GameZilla Media. And once a month, you can get a bonus show from your favorite hosts at Last Action Podcast, where they cover the post credit scene show, where they give you bonus topics, uh, lists, deep dives into topics. Uh, and that's all on Patreon at the $5 tier. Make sure to check it out. That's it. That's it. We're good. We're done. We're all Could done. Said no it more. Better. This last action. Wait, hold on no, no. What are you doing? Man, I get it. You've been off for a little while, but come on. Well, you said we're done, so finish you guys, it. Do you, do you guys know what to do now? Are you you got you figured it out? Yes. Well, we should probably say thank you to Craig thank WK. You to Craig, yeah. Yeah. I see Craig. No, I see Craig too much now. Well, that, you're not wrong. Like he's just going to terrorize me on Wednesday anyway. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. And and in my yeah. dreams on on the other days of the week that end in Y. <laughs> well, Craig, I want to thank you for being here. It wouldn't be a Bond episode without you here. And uh, I can't wait till the next one. Hopefully, we won't have as long of gap between Bond movies. So right. we'll, we'll probably never do Bond month again. That was a little <laughs> intense, especially right. especially the behind the scenes recording session. We'd be there from like seven to two in the morning. <laughs> that was a long day. That's a long day. Well, anyway, I, I missed you, hovercraft Joe. This has been great. Oh, give yourselves, you. give each other a virtual hug. You guys can't see it now, but <laughs> no, I'm keeping it, keep it above the equator, there, guys. Come on, that was uncomfortable for everybody. Ew. Anyway, this episode of the Last Action Podcast has been terminated, but we'll be back. Uncomfortable or hot?